as much as I feel bad admitting what I'm about to admit to you today, um, I'm going to admit it anyway. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> I grew up with a tendency to think of myself as a little better than others. I was blessed to be born into a family with a good business that was started by my grandfather and who my father helped to build up. And because of that, we didn't lack for much at all. This is where I grew up. The house wasn't always that large, but it steadily grew bigger every decade. We had lots of things, four-wheelers and boats and nice cars and airplanes and vacation homes and all the works. We were blessed, but my self-image became inflated as a result. Having new and shiny things has a tendency to make you feel new and shiny on the inside. We were made to feel important by others oftentimes because we had things. And American culture is a capitalistic society. It tends to elevate those who are those who have more and treat them with more respect. I admit today that in my childhood I felt a little too important at times, whether I spoke that out loud or not. Okay, I don't blame you at this point if you want to roll your eyes and, you know, think I'm a little, it's a little sad that I would bring all that up to you because it admittedly seems boastful, but I open that part of my life up to you to now tell you another story that gives you the background, that gave you the background for this other story, which is very embarrassing and still causes me shame to this day. While I was in grade school, I remember a time when I visited our family up in the mountains. My uncle, aunt, and others lived there. He also was in the family business running a separate but similar sister corporation. This uncle had just recently experienced a conversion, a Christian conversion, during my childhood and had given his heart to Jesus. And things rapidly changed for him as he quickly fell in love with the Lord and his people. And so I remember one Sabbath I was there visiting we used to go around to different houses to see everybody. I went to this particular uncle's house. I hadn't gone to church that day, but I loved going to visit their house. They had come back from church. It was a large house, nice place, had lots of fun there. When I suddenly spotted, as we came through the front door and were headed to my cousin's room to play, I noticed their large dining room. This isn't it, but it was something like this with a long table. And there I saw them 
my uncle, his wife, my aunt, and they had a couple there from church, and I'm ashamed to admit to you that as I saw them together with this family from church, that I thought to myself, how could they have those people over to their house and actually want to hang out with them? You see, this family, they were hosting. They didn't at that time, to my child mind, did not seem very important. They weren't wealthy. They weren't even that cool, it didn't look like. So I personally had no desire to go in and mingle among them. As a matter of fact, I quickly went past the door so that I wouldn't get trapped into having to go into that room and talk with these other people. Now, that memory has been seared into my mind until even this very day. And every time I think about that, I'm utterly ashamed all over again. Why am I ashamed? Because Jesus Christ has since that time reached down into my life and completely changed my perspective and my paradigm of thinking all the way around. Hallelujah. He's given me a much better mindset to live by today. And to illustrate this mindset that I believe Jesus wants all of us as his followers to have, I'd like to turn with you to a story in Luke chapter 7. If you don't mind, turn with me there. I'll have it on the screen also. But there, in Luke chapter 7, we find Jesus eating as a guest at someone's home. A very important person's home. When suddenly someone crashed the party, so to speak, in the eyes of those who felt a little too important that day, the kind of way I felt in some points of my childhood. Luke chapter 7, and going down now to verse 36, we'll pick up the story there. The Bible says, Luke chapter 7, starting verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Such a famous story, isn't it? Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 26 Mark chapter 14 and John chapter 12 all recite this story. That means it's found in all four Gospels because it is that all-important. Each Gospel comes at it from a different angle, but the uniform message is the same, and that is that there were people there at that dinner party that day. 
even at the same table, that thought of themselves as better than others that were there that day, namely, in particular, specifically, a woman. The one that crashed the party and was sitting at Jesus' feet in tears. Luke chapter 7 now, verse 39, we'll continue. It says, When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, talking about Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. But she is a sinner. Now John chapter 12 names for us who this Pharisee is. You may remember very well his name is Simon. Simon is called here, and in another gospel, the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee. Being a Pharisee meant that you had a well-respected place in Jewish society. Matter of fact, the Christian, or Jew, I'm sorry, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote about Pharisees in that they had the full support, he said, and goodwill of the common people within Judaism. So although the general public looked at Simon, a Pharisee, with respect, Simon wasn't able to look back at all the general public in the same way. As a matter of fact, in particular with this woman in this passage, he did not look at her with respect. Now John chapter 14 tells us who this woman is. She is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Simon looks at Mary and does not see someone who is worthy to be there. Let's think about Mary for a minute. What else do we know about her? Mary had been caught in the very act of adultery, hadn't she? She had been engaged in prostitution. These were egregious, sinful acts, according to Judaism. Bible. Her sin was a sexual sin against her own body. The Bible, we've been talking about, endorses sex in the context of a marital relationship with a husband and a wife. Mary's sin of adultery was certainly unacceptable in the society of that time. And because Scripture didn't condone this sexual activity, she was looked down upon by others. And Jesus, matter of fact, she was so looked down by society that Jesus had to rescue her from being stoned to death by that society as a crowd had gathered that day. Now, on top of this, looking back at her story, we also see in Scripture that Jesus cast out seven demons out of Mary. So it was certainly, if anyone was going to be looked at as a sinner by a society, it was this woman, Mary, who is now in Luke chapter 7, sitting at the feet of Jesus and weeping. Simon is uncomfortable with Mary being at the party. And Jesus 
seeing that Jesus allowed her, I'm sorry, to interact with him makes Simon even question the validity of Jesus' own ministry and mission. Again, as he said in Luke 7, 39, records him as saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So interesting that Simon labels this woman as a sinner. You know why? Because if you look in two other gospel accounts of this same story, Matthew 26, Luke 14, they mention that Simon, they don't call him Simon the Pharisee, they call him Simon the, do you know? Leper. Simon the leper. People in those days believed about leprosy that it came upon you because of some grievous sin. And scholars looking at this story and the other gospel accounts think that he must have been healed already by Jesus at this point. Because is there any way in Jewish society they would have been now sitting with a leper in his house eating with him? Absolutely not. So Simon has already been healed by Jesus. And now he is looking at someone else, a prostitute, as beneath him. Jesus has something to say to Simon in Luke chapter 7 that Simon desperately needs to hear. Jesus has something to say to me and to anyone willing to hear him that I think desperately needs to be heard. Luke chapter 7, now beginning in verses 40 and going to 47, here's the rest of, the most of the rest of it. Um, it's small on the screen, so follow along in your Bible if you'd like. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more. And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I have entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, here's the meat, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus reveals to Simon that, that he, Jesus, truly is a prophet and so much more, right? Because he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. And Simon now realizes Jesus is reading my innermost thoughts. Simon doesn't recognize Jesus at this point in the story up to that point for who he truly is. 
He doesn't recognize his own need of forgiveness the way Mary has recognized her need of forgiveness. Now, Simon wasn't the only one at the dinner party that day who was having this problem feeling a little bit too important. This wasn't an isolated incident within the house with just Simon, according to all four Gospels. The other Gospels report that Judas was very verbal about his uh, lack of respect for what she was doing. The other Gospels say the disciples, plural, also did not like what was happening, and it also says, and the others. So there were others, too, that felt likewise. And they were upset because Jesus was socializing here with this sinner, and and they were upset that she was wasting this money also when it could have been given to the poor. I mean, this was an expensive bottle of perfume. It cost 20 months' wages, according to the Bible scholars. But Mary thought that no price is too high a price to show Jesus how much she loved him and appreciated him. Her love was just overflowing with Jesus and pouring out even through this costly perfume. And everyone noticed. Simon had yet to recognize the depths of his sin and the breadth of Jesus' grace. Amen? I, too, believe that I have not yet understood fully the depths of my sin nor have I fully comprehended the breadth of Jesus' grace for me. How much am I forgiven? How much are you forgiven in your mind? Just a little? Or is it a lot? Are we better sinners than anyone else? Are we less sinners than anyone else? The Bible is clear that there is no one righteous. No, not one. I'd like to read it to you together so that we can see where we all fit. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12 is very clear in this respect. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, Paul writes to us and says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Are are we in any better shape than anybody else? It says, not at all. For we have already made that charge that Jews and Gentiles, those inside the church and outside the church, are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands that there is There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Today we are continuing exploring our sermon series. We've been in it for three or four weeks now. It's entitled Finding Love. And In this sermon series, we are discussing this biblical context for love between a man and a woman and exploring healthy parameters set forth by God in His Word for sexual relationships. Not the easiest topic to talk about. 
Today, unlike maybe ever before, there is much discussion within the Christian church on how it should relate to communities like LGBTQ+. In light of our biblical exploration, just this morning even, I ask you, do we as Christians ever have any reason to look down on any member of the LGBTQ plus community? Do we ever have reason to look down upon any person, no matter what their lifestyle is? That is a plug-and-play question. People that wear masks or don't wear masks. People who get a vaccine and who don't get a vaccine. You can plug that in everywhere. Democrats, Republicans. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you, that's a very plug-and-play question, isn't it? Do we have reason to look down on anyone because their lifestyle is different? How much am I forgiven? I tell you, I want to be more like Mary because I, I want to be so focused on the grace of Jesus in front of me that I don't have time to look around and judge others. Let the other people do that. I want to focus on Jesus. How often have we wondered how we can effectively witness to someone that we feel doesn't know Jesus the way we believe they should. I think Jesus showed us the answer. He welcomed the presence of sinners in his life. Amen? He welcomed the presence of sinners in his life. He even shared a table with them and ate with them. All are sinners, according to the Bible. Are we willing to do this with others? How about the LGBTQ plus community? Are we willing to do that with them? And is it our job to label for other people what is sin and what isn't sin? Is that our job? Mary came into Jesus' presence. He accepted her. And it was Jesus who said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said that. Mary had every right to believe whether or not Jesus had that power or not to forgive sins, or even label what sin is. She had that right to determine if Jesus had that power. The others who were more religious... It's interesting, isn't it? Those who were more religious were the ones who were having the harder time accepting the full power of Jesus. Luke 7, 48 and 49 says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests, the other people there, said to themselves, among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? You see, when we are focused on others more than we are on Jesus, then our influence seems to diminish and our understanding of Jesus isn't very clear. 
when we're focused on more, on others more than we are on Jesus, then our influence seems to diminish and our understanding of Jesus is unclear. This isn't the first time, by the way, that Jesus forgave Mary, is it? Probably wasn't going to be the last either. She continued, though, to see the goodness of God right in Jesus. And it kept bringing her back to him. She wanted more and more of him in her life. And the religious leaders, on the other hand, saw Jesus, and they could not believe that he would actually mingle with people like her. Here's what Luke 15, 2 records, that they would say about him, this man, and they were not saying this kindly, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Trying to disprove him. Why did Jesus welcome sinners and eat with them? Well, of course, to show them how much God loved them, how much he cared for them, regardless of whether or not they were living in accordance with his word. Does he want people to live in accordance with his word? Absolutely, make no mistake, because he wants all of us to have life more abundantly in him. Amen? So he spent time with as many different kinds of people as he possibly could in hopes that they would see his goodness, that they would experience his mercy, and open their heart to his life-changing power and the eternal life that he desperately wants to experience with every single one of them. I'll tell you the truth. When I gave my heart to Jesus finally in college, it was because I was witnessing how wonderful he really is, how kind and how loving he is. And as I read about him in the Gospels, and my heart became warmed to him, and I loved reading about how he was with sinners, and I suddenly started to realize the depths of my own sin. And I realized that I wasn't nearly as rich and as powerful and as high and mighty as I might have once thought myself to be. And I realized that I have lust and greed and lying and pride and selfishness so deep within my being that I could never trust myself with those things again and that I could only keep bringing them before Jesus. People tried for years to tell me subtly, maybe sometimes not so subtly, the things I was doing wrong, but I tell you the truth, every time that they would say something like that, when I didn't know Jesus, it really just pushed me away from them instead of drawing me closer to them. I had to experience Jesus for myself. And so now today, I want to focus on bringing Jesus into the homes of those that I believe need him most. Just bring Jesus to them as he is living in my heart and in my life with my full attention on him. All my love, all my heart, 
all my focus. And if I can do that, hopefully they will notice Jesus there with us in their presence. Because he is in my heart to that degree. Jesus came to Simon's house. Simon needed him. But it took the love of Mary for G, for for uh, the love of Mary for Jesus for Simon to take notice and to learn. Isn't that interesting? Simon invited Jesus to the house, but it took Mary being there and her great love for Jesus to finally teach Simon. Jesus had her full attention. Maybe we need that same lesson. I know I do. Stop worrying so much about everyone else and their actions, but give Jesus my full attention and others will take notice because my love for him will exude from me and pour out from me. I love what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says. Above how much? Above everything, right? Above all. Love each other deeply. Is this important? Because love covers how much sin? A multitude of sins. Oh, brothers, oh, sisters, love is such a powerful, such a compelling force, isn't it? Love is what is needed to open the hearts of anyone to accept Jesus and his word. And this is how Jesus himself operated, isn't it? One of my favorite quotes, I'm sure you probably ran across it too, Ministry of Healing, this wonderful book on page 143 has this to say about Jesus and his method. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled, he mingled with people as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then he bade them, asked them, follow me. Until a person gives us that permission to speak life into their life from God's word, because they see that we love them and that we care for them, they can trust us, anything we say until that point probably is going to have a different reaction than what we're hoping for. If we're trying to help correct things in life for them, it's probably going to close the door against the Savior more than it will open that door. Also, I'd like to say until I recognize the depths of my own sin, for any of us that we recognize the depths of our own sin, then we really won't be in a good position to really effectively minister to people for the Savior in their lives. Understanding our own sin helps keep us from approaching anyone else with this higher and loftier status. It brings us to a level playing field. And that's important, isn't it? Because doesn't the world need to see that we as Christians don't think that we are better than them? That we realize we are not? Personally, I think that it's very unfortunate 
if any in the LGBTQ plus community have ever been made to feel like the Christian community thinks that they are better than them. I am no better than anyone else as God's word to this day continues to reveal to me where I myself am not living in accordance with his desires. Because we are all sinners. And we are all in need of the presence of Jesus because he is our collective savior, right? And he is mighty to save, and I can attest to that because it takes a mighty savior to save a wretch like me. Why can't we show the LGBTQ plus community exactly what Jesus wants us to show everyone? Let's show to the world no matter where they find themselves, let's show them Jesus and his love pouring out from our heart. In closing, football season is here. Can I get an amen? Anybody? I was working on the computer Thursday night and the first game of the NFL season I remember it was on, so I put it on in the background so I could kind of see what was happening. And I don't know if you like NFL. If you don't, I'm sorry. Um, but anyone that has, is somewhat interested in the NFL probably has heard the story about a wide receiver by the name of Antonio Brown. Raise your hand if you've heard of Antonio Brown. He was, he's going to be probably in the Hall of Fame, I would say. Pittsburgh Steeler uh, organization, where he got his fame. He's a excellent receiver, but he had a huge, huge fall from grace into many legal troubles and uh, some pretty difficult ones. And honestly, I thought, even myself, there is no way that this guy is going to rebound and catch back on with another team. He was ostracized by most of the fans, most of the owners, I would say. Uh, it was pretty bad there for a couple of years. But I was wrong. He made it back, and it's because he met this guy you may have heard of, Tom Brady. He's won a Super Bowl or two, or seven. <laughs> Tom Brady recruited him to come play with him in Tampa Bay when he went from New England to Tampa Bay. And together they won a Super Bowl last year. Here is what Antonio Brown says about Tom Brady and how much he means to him for not only giving him another chance, but for the relationship they have. He had a whale of a game, by the way, Thursday night. Amazing. Talking about Tom Brady's active support, listen to what Antonio Brown says. He says, it means everything. Tom is a sixth rounder who is so passionately driven on and off the field. He's a great person and a great leader, but he is a great friend. He's always encouraging me. You don't have a lot of true friends in life. He's one of mine. So I'm always trying to prove my loyalty by the way I play, and listen to this, and the way I live my life. Folks, if Tom Brady was effective in reaching Antonio Brown with kindness and friendship and love and support, how much more effective will we be in doing the same in hopes of reaching people for the sake of Jesus Christ?
And don't get me wrong, Tom Brady's a whale of a guy, great guy. Together, he and Antonio Brown did something wonderful. They won a Super Bowl. But folks, with Jesus, people can truly have it all. They can have everything, including eternal life in the presence of him who is called love. Can we be a constant and positive force in people's lives, all in the hopes of constantly bringing them before Jesus. The one forgiven much loves much. The one forgiven little loves little. How much are we forgiven? And how much are we willing to love? Let's stand together, shall we, and have a closing prayer. Father in heaven, we are just so grateful that you love sinners because that includes every one of us here today in this church who are online. Lord, we all recognize this fact today that we fall short and there's things in our lives where we are not living in accordance with your beautiful word that is only there to help guide us to a happier, more fulfilling existence. Lord, I am so grateful you accept me. And Lord, I'm so grateful that there are stories in the Bible that show how you accepted everybody. Help me now to go out with a heart full of love for you and show other people that love so that they can know you, not just for a little while, but they can live forever with all of us together in your amazing kingdom you promised. Lord, thank you. You're a God who accepts the way you do. And thank you for the powerful word you want to speak into all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.